The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A warm welcome to Sportbox. You've got Jeff Cutmore, you've got Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick. And you've got some headlines as follows. Tech wreck. The Nasdaq sees its worst session since March as heavyweights including Facebook, Alphabet and Microsoft slump, with some market voices warning a broader correction has only just begun. Well, the sell-off continuing in Asia as U.S. yields hover around three-month highs, with markets eyeing the not-too-distant wind-back, I should say, of the Fed pandemic support. Fed Chair Jerome Powell issues a warning to Washington, telling Congress that inflation pressures could last longer than expected. Mainly what we've seen is that the supply side restrictions that, that are so much at the heart of the inflation we're seeing have not only not gotten better, they've actually in some cases gotten worse. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen warns the U.S. risks running out of money inside three weeks with D.C. stuck in deadlock after the Senate blocks a bill to extend the debt limit. This would be a manufactured crisis we had imposed on this country, which has been going through a very difficult period, is on the road to recovery, and it would be a self-inflicted wound of enormous proportions. And Evergrande stock trades higher ahead of another interest payment deadline today as the debt-laden developer raises $1.5 billion from the sale of a minority stake in a Chinese bank to a state-owned firm. Strong moves to the downside on markets and the question is whether the bulls or the bears have it at this point. And you can see in session it was a big drop for the technology index in particular, the Nasdaq, taking us uh, to the biggest percentage drop since March for the S&P since May, the biggest percentage fall we've witnessed. So the extent of the losses, 2.8% uh, off the NASDAQ, uh, 2-odd percent are coming off the S&P, and you can see 1.6% down for the Dow. Now, in recent sessions, we've been talking about slight resilience in the Dow as investors have pivoted away from those technology names, those growth stocks, into more cyclical value parts of the market. All this on the back of the Fed last week. It's been a very slow-moving train as investors have responded to those cues that they're getting on a taper being teed up for this year and also the potential for interest rate hikes on the horizon next year. So you've seen a number of big market moving days where investors have been repositioning as a result. Now, one of the big stocks to the downside was Microsoft, and we can just switch over the charts and show those big technology names. We're talking about a market darling here really since the beginning of COVID, right at the forefront of a lot of trends and down 3.6%, a big mover for all three major indices. But right across the space, you can see the extent of the pullback. Apple, another key stock to watch, down more than 2.3%, Alphabet 3.7%, Amazon 2.6%. So we are talking about big names that are now reversing and that's why you're seeing a huge fall in the markets. We've always asked the question, if you don't have that leadership from technology names, what does it look like on broader markets? Let's take a look at the sectors. 
away from technology where we are seeing that red, it was also a sea of red across the board. You could see uh, the S&P consumer discretionary, that was down 2% as well. 1.6 off S&P financial stocks, industrials, not exactly providing a safe haven either. Uh, energy was one of really the only areas of the market protected, but there's been a lot of factors at play around this demand story and what we've been talking about uh, at the pump with supply shortages and how refinery product has been pulled back into the market. So, Steve, uh, just wanted to make the point, you know, often you see an event happening and you think you could jump in and save it where someone's falling off a chair. It's almost like it's in slow motion. This market has been moving to me in slow motion over yeah. a number of sessions. I think you're right. I, I, I think and it was the same with the, the reaction of the German election on the day as well. It was up a percent. And since then, it's had a decent sized decline as well. You think, well, why, as I said to the guests, why were real estate stocks up? Because, oh, there's more confidence in the market. Like, why would there be more confidence? You've got a left-leaning government that could uh, actually have to be more aggressive and draconian on rents. Why would you actually buy those real estate stocks on the day? And he was like, well, it's a bit more confidence in knowing what's going on. I didn't understand that then. And now I think you're absolutely right. I think it has been slow motion reaction to something which is highly logical and is probably good news. Let's not forget, if the Fed is thinking about taking emergency support away, that is good news. It thinks the economy can stand on its own. It thinks that the consumer is more robust. It thinks some of those savings are going to be spent. It thinks that corporates are on over leveraged and overgeared and the market is not on precipitous levels. So it's good news if the Fed is taking away some of this. Yeah, We go into the so-called sweet spot that people have legendarily talked about at the start of a rising cycle. Just a couple of points on your boards before I get to one or two over here as well. Uh, despite this cataclysm that the headlines are in the papers now and the dramatic moves and everything, how much are we down on the quarter on these big US markets? How much have we lost on the quarter? Nothing. Nothing. We're not down on the quarter. Have a look at this. The S&P is up 1.3% over the last quarter. The Nasdaq is up 0.3% on the quarter. You have had your dividend as well from a lot of these companies and pretty high and increasing income as well. So you haven't lost a buck if you've owned at the start of the quarter to now. That is a point. But that says like going to a theme park and you have the baby roller coaster, you have the big one. This was the big roller coaster for the month. You got the highs and lows, you went in circles. Absolutely. It wasn't the, the baby roller so coaster. So that's more good news for a lot of our viewers who you pretend you're investors, but a lot of you are actually traders as well. I mean, there is a big difference, but a lot of you have had amazing opportunities to trade these stocks, to trade your gamma, to trade your delta, to own your premium. Look at the VIX. Oh, I'll come to that in a moment. I think, oh, Jeff is doing that one. But, but, but what I'm saying is, these aren't cataclysmic declines. We have had a, absolutely, it's been a roller coaster ride. But even in a quarter where the Fed has gone from benign, we'll take our time to actually, we're just going to turn up the volume a little bit. Not that much. We're going to turn it up a little bit. We're going to go a little bit faster. Even in that quarter, the market hasn't lost a jot. Yet. Just six tenths of a percent down on the, the quarter for the Dow, for instance. Exactly. So less than one so, percent. And, and, and probably with invested dividends, you're actually up. Right. So it's not that bad. I mean, look at the treasuries. We'll do that now quickly. Actually. I know that they've been waiting for me to get to here. Look at this. Look how much the yield is up compared to earlier in the year when we weren't so sure. Yeah. Look how much is up compared to earlier in the year. Right. Wait for it. Wait for the netball rod. Wait. Hey, this is my big reveal. Look how high the yield is compared to early in the year when we thought the Fed was going to be uh, lower for longer. Ready? Show the 10-year yield then. Look at this year to date. Look. Oh, oh, we're not. Oh, I must have got that wrong. We're only now, after that recent spike from 1.3, sorry, I've got to put my earpiece in. I'm getting too excited. We're up to 1.55, or what does it say? 1.53 at the moment. Look, April, there we are. I just found that one on my chart. We were at 175. So even though... 
The market is apparently getting used to the idea now that inflation's around a little bit longer. We'll get to Carl Weinberg in a moment. He'll have something to say about that. Uh, and even though the market is getting more concerned, A, my per- first piece of evidence is we haven't lost a jot in the quarter. And secondly, we're nowhere near that we were on the yields early in the year. There's a way to go. There's a way to go. Right, let's have a look at the energy prices. Well, and that, here's another problem as well, is the fact that we are higher and stickier at higher levels for a lot of these commodity prices. Uh, and something that my good friend Martin Ratz over at Morgan Stanley sent through to my inbox yesterday, which I've been thinking about a lot because of previous cycles where I've known where the pain point is, anywhere above 75 bucks, people start to worry if you're a consumer. Trust me, they do. If you're Japan, you're India, you're a, a big industrial nation that has a high import bill from hydrocarbons and you can't put your industry onto renewables overnight. You just can't do it. Well, you're starting to worry, trust me, at 75 bucks. And at 80 bucks, you're starting to think, mm, I'm not so sure. 90 bucks, you're in a bit of a trouble on your economic growth scenario. So I hope OPEC knows what they're doing by keeping the taps lower for longer as well. Of course, they know what they're doing. They're, they're, they're very experienced. But the point of the matter is, if you push it too hard, it's going to create problems for the global economy because, not because I say so, because every time in history that oil prices have been too high for too long, it has resulted in a recession thereafter. That's a fact. Jeff will tell you that in a few moments' time. In fact, he can tell you now because it's his turn. Hi, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. I think... uh... Uh, those of us uh, old enough to remember the great Sheikh Yamani will remember the consequences of the actions that were taken uh, way back in the 70s. And as we look at this current environment, of course, there are plenty of people that want to think that this is the same kind of stagflationary environment that we are entering, as we saw back in the 1970s. But but we'll have to wait and see and hear what Carl Weinberg has to say. But I I absolutely agree with uh, both of you. Look, we've had, what, 25 plus new all-time highs on the S&P here. The issue is ultimately where we are on market valuations and whether those valuations and prices uh, represent where we are going in terms of the reality of economic activity and the recovery from the post-COVID lockdowns. And I think those are where the questions are being asked and then whether it is appropriate that we move into only a very modestly uh, tighter uh, monetary environment. But that appears to be what the Fed is signalling. But clearly it was enough yesterday that that 2% decline um, on the headline indices to push investors into the safe havens. So, so let's have a quick look at where we went in terms of uh, gold and the dollar. And inevitably, we got what was a broad dollar rally on the back of uh, seeking some safety in an asset class where the yield support appears to be changing and changing positively in favour of the dollar here. So the dollar trading near its strongest levels of the year. The uh, VIX inevitably also uh, spiking, as you were pointing out, Steve, I think just a reflection of that uh, uh, pickup in anxiety. Um, And back to the dollar then, the yen basically now 18-month lows or thereabouts, the euro uh, one-month low overnight in trade. And um, I'm not sure you get the full picture on this board, but sterling effectively had a 1% move overnight 
And I think the uh, combination of concerns about UK growth, the government's ability to execute around the fuel crisis and other issues, just knocking back uh, the pound sterling. Interesting, Reuters spoke with some uh, Deutsche Bank strategists and the focus really was on whether we have a stagflation trend here where we get lower growth and a more hawkish Fed. And obviously, if that is the scenario that we are going to work with going forward, then it does imply that we will see little room for any further dollar downtrend from here. And as we know, there are a lot of asset classes around the world that do a whole lot better in a weaker dollar rather than a stronger dollar, i.e. namely uh, those emerging markets. So some interesting messages being sent by the price movements we're seeing at the moment. And just coming back to that main point that I was making about whether it's um, for, for a lot of investors, uh, whether we have appropriate prices now on risk assets compared to the reality of where we're heading. Uh, speaking on Tuesday's closing bell, uh, the famed investor and co-founder of GMO, Jeremy Grantham, warned the stock market is in an even more crazy position than leading up to the crashes of 1929 and 2000. Equities is magnificent, a magnificent bubble in the US, but Strangely, overseas, it's merely a routine bull market. It's overpriced, but uh, no big deal. Uh, But uh, real estate is magnificently overpriced almost everywhere that has a real estate market that counts. And the bond market, of course, is, as Jim Grant would say, at a 6,000-year high uh, in terms of low interest rates and uh, high bond prices. A quick look at U.S. futures and how we're setting up for the session later on on Wall Street after what was a day in the red. You can see green now bouncing back onto the boards. And this has been one of the points, too, the buy-the-dip mentality that keeps on coming back into this market when you do have a downbeat session. So we are getting a little bit of volatility, as you can see, with the downward moves and then the the spike back up again. And uh, early signals suggest we will try and reclaim some of that lost territory first up this morning on Wall Street. Well, the opening calls here are also finding that mood music encouraging. And you can see European markets perched higher before the session, indicating we will see a jump right across the boards. Uh, you can see the DAX 45 to the upside at this stage. And yesterday, as we wrapped up uh, the trade, we were down heavily. We shed uh, two plus percent on the stocks, Europe 600. Well, let's get out to Matthew Taylor for more on the Asian market action and how the region is faring on the back of Wall Street. Matt, good morning. Hi there, Karen. Good morning to you. Not good, despite the fact that we are seeing a lift in those US futures and, of course, the European opening calls. We are sharply weaker right across the Asia-Pacific session. And, in fact, it really hasn't budged much throughout the course of the day. Of course, uh, the Nasdaq was the underperformer in the overnight session, so that's translating into the tech-heavy markets being particularly weak. Taiwan off by more than 2%. The South Korean market off by around about 1.8%. Greater China markets just back from the lunch break, weaker as well. Shanghai off by around about 1.8%. Tech names, given that those tech markets are weaker, dragging right across the sector here. You can see uh, 3% decline. Sony down by more than uh, 4%. One stock, though, that is bucking the downward trend today, though, uh, is Evergrande. Let's give you a look at what that stock is doing. Up by about 8%. We were up by more than 15% earlier on. Fitch downgrading the stock to C from double C in the last hour. We're bouncing today on news of a stake sale to banks to help repay some of that debt. 
Japan, also a regional underperformer as well. I just showed you Sony, weaker there. That's translating into a big fall for the Nikkei, off by some 828 points. But we've also got politics front and centre in Japan as well because the LDP is now voting on who will be the new leader of the party to succeed Prime Minister Suga. And in fact, we've just got some results out. No candidate winning a majority in the first vote. So this is now going to go to a runoff and it will be between uh, Kishida and also Kono as well. So we expect those results from the runoff in about the next hour or so. And whoever wins will become the next Prime Minister of Japan, replacing Prime Minister Suga there. Back over to you in London. All right. Terrific, Matt. Thank you very much indeed for that. Well, let's focus on what it was that maybe spooked the markets here. We had those testimonies. Uh, Jay Powell uh, facing a heated congressional hearing with lawmakers grilling the Fed chair on topics ranging from ethics and diversity to inflationary pressures and financial regulations. Tensions at the committee hearing reaching a peak when Senator Elizabeth Warren called out Powell as a, quote, dangerous man for weakening banking regulations after the last financial crisis, adding she would oppose his renomination next year. Well, speaking to lawmakers on the state of the US economy, Powell admitted the ongoing mismatch between demand and supply means inflation could run longer than first anticipated. I think it's fair to say that it is the... um uh, mainly what we've seen is that the, the supply side restrictions that, that are so much at the heart of the inflation we're seeing have not only not gotten better, they've actually in some cases gotten worse. Look at the car companies, look at the, look at the ships uh, dock, or, you know, with their anchors down outside of Los Angeles. And this is really uh, a mismatch between demand and supply. And we need those supply blockages to alleviate, to abate uh, before inflation can come down. Well, let's uh, speak now to Carl Weinberg, Chief Economist at High Frequency Economics. Carl, great to have you with us this morning as we try to decode what investors were reacting to so negatively overnight. Um, Let me ask you, is is there um, an important shift taking place here in terms of uh, expectations now versus uh, growth reality? Um, Is the market getting a whiff of stagflation and it doesn't like it? Well, good morning, Jeff. Uh, I don't particularly like the phrase stagflation to describe what we're experiencing right now. My my own personal assessment is very much in line with the Fed uh, chairs, which is that, that we are looking at uh, a temporary spate of supply issues. Uh, as Bank of England Governor Bailey said yesterday, monetary policy can't create more chips for automobiles or unblock the ports or get uh, caregivers and uh, family members back to work uh, when they're caring for children at home or for for sick uh, family members. So uh, there are a lot of supply constraints that are out there right now that we believe are going to be transient. This, of course, is at the the core of the debate, but I'll remind everyone that inflation is a process and not a one-time change in uh, the level of prices, which I think is what we're seeing right now. We're seeing an adjustment to new realities on the supply side, temporary realities on the supply side. But we're not seeing the inflation, the stagflation process that we saw in the 1970s recurring again. But Carl, if we look at the the movement of the 10-year yield, it's obviously forcing investors to reconsider the price they've paid for equities, particularly uh, growth 
equities in in the technology space here. Can we at least uh, agree that maybe rates are moving to a, a new higher um, level, that the curve is moving up here in anticipation of the taper? Uh, sure, Jeff. I mean, there are lots of reasons, though, why Treasury yields are moving up and inflation expectations are one of them, but they're, they're surely not the only one. Uh, there's fear and concern about the debt ceiling issue. That's uh, one consideration. There are uh, ongoing issues about the supply of debt to the economy and the supply of debt to, uh, to the private sector. Uh, there are uh, a myriad things that are pushing Treasury yields up right now. I think the market, there is a large segment of the market that does believe that inflation will be higher. I'm not so sure how much of that believes in the word stagflation, but believes that we're going to grow and with that growth will come more upward pressure on prices and that inflation will be higher than it has been. And uh, the market's always right, so that's why uh, the yields are going up. Some of those expectations, though, in particular, I think the expectation of a stagflation scenario where inflation rises and wages accelerate along with them and that that process generates a spiraling dynamic of its own. I don't see the basis for that. This is not 1973. Morning, Carl. So you're basically saying that the Fed is going to fail to rebalance the economy. You're going to say basically saying the the process of inflation isn't just about the one-time move, it's about the consistent move over a period of time. So we're not going to see higher median salaries over a longer term. We're not going to see average hourly earnings for the median income owners uh, earners improve over a longer term period. You're basically saying there's going to be a failure to rebalance the US economy, yeah? No, Steve, I, I don't think that we'd say that it's a failure, and I certainly don't think it's the Fed's fault. There are lots of things at work keeping the U.S. economy imbalanced, not the least of which is COVID, all right, with so many Americans resisting vaccination, that will continue to be a problem and a break on the economy for a very, very long time. The chip problem has no short-term solution to it. The supply bottlenecks at the ports doesn't have a short-term solution. So to say that, you know, it's the Fed's fault, the Fed's not going to succeed in rebalancing, you know, eventually I believe that supply and demand will rebalance. And that's why I believe that prices will stop rising after a certain point. We're just going through a really rough patch right now as we uh, reopen the economy at a pace never before seen after a closure that we've never seen before. And we're getting some unexpected bumps along the way. I'm not sure, though, that you can add that up into a story that says that beyond the immediate reopening that we're going to see continued upward pressure on prices. Carl, there are so many factors right now for market participants to contend with, and I just wanted to focus on one of them potentially down the track of this uh, reappointment of Jay Powell. And we've had comments uh, from Senator Warren attacking Powell at this point. And we've seen in other points of history that if there's not a smooth handover, markets can take somewhat of a wobble. So as we look at uh, some of the, the various factors here, should Biden be signaling his support for Powell to ensure that there is this uh, smooth transition and investors don't have one extra thing to worry about at this point? Well, Karen, good morning. Um, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure that there's ever been a rough transition of power at the Fed because the institutional thinking uh, is at the core of what drives Fed policy. And the uh, chairman, chair, chair people, chairs have been selected uh, on largely or inclusively on part of their, their sense of continuity. You know, so 
who would we get as a Fed chair in place of Chair Powell? It would probably be someone who starts from a point not too far away from where he is. Now, Senator Warren wants the next Fed chair to be much more concerned about regulation right, and about preventing the last crisis, the 2008 crisis. And I'm sure the president will take that point of view into consideration. There are other considerations, though. Senator Warren is a kind of a one-horse uh, uh, campaign there to tighten up regulation again to prevent banks from failing again. Uh, to my eye, that's not the most important thing right now because I don't see the banking sector at risk. We've done a good job repairing the banking sector since 2007 and making it stronger, even though some of the regulations have indeed been weakened recently. So uh, this is a political decision in the end that the, the president will have to make, but I'm confident that uh, the Fed will move forward smoothly. There are, however, more things than just the chairmanship of the Fed at stake here, but the vice chairmanship is up for grabs and four other seats are now available as well. So there is a possibility for President Biden to both address Chair uh, Senator Warren's uh, complaints about uh, Chair Powell by putting in a stronger regulator uh, in the board, uh, on the board uh, at, or at a, a, a regional presidency uh, without having to dump Jay Powell as the chair. And as you know, the president is a compromiser with lots of skills in Congress about bridging uh, differences in points of view. So let's see what he comes up with. But it's a bigger game than just the Powell appointment that's on the table. Well, let's hope he is a compromiser. Otherwise, we're going to have another little shutdown, aren't we? Carl, excellent. Thank you. Always a pleasure speaking to you. Love reading your work as well. So we appreciate you sending that to us as well. Thanks, Carl. Carl Weinberg, Chief Economist of High Frequency Economics. Right. Talking of the president as a compromiser, the U.S. President Joe Biden has cancelled a trip to Chicago later today so he can instead continue negotiations between several factions of the Democrats on his legislative efforts. Progressive Democrats warned House Speaker Nancy Pelosi they would oppose the bipartisan infrastructure bill if a reconciliation bill containing broader social policies was not also passed. Isn't that extraordinary? Just, just take a step back, everybody. This is politics working. This is your own party in government saying we're going to but basically not have infrastructure bill going forward, which the US desperately needs, which the progressives know that it needs, the moderates know it needs, the conservatives know it needs, the Republicans know it needs, but the, but, but the progressives within the Democrat Party would block the bipartisan infrastructure bill if a completely different bill, which is on social policies, was not also passed. Isn't that great? They just love your politicians, everybody. But it also tells you something about the horse trading behind the scenes in yeah, the party as we talk about the reappointment of Jay Powell potentially yeah. as well. Just love politics, doesn't it? So America, which every American watching this show need, knows, needs massive infrastructure rebuilding. But you're not going to get it because something else isn't on the table. Love it, love it. Don't get me wrong, it happens everywhere. It's not just America, it's all over the place, but just love politicians sometimes. Uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who used to be a central banker, uh, told Congress that Treasury would be unable to pay all the government's bills if the federal borrowing limit isn't raised by October 18th. Yellen also warned lawmakers not to jeopardise the country's recovery. It would be disastrous for the American economy, for global financial markets, and for millions of families and workers whose financial security would be jeopardized by delayed payments. If Congress were to um, fail to raise the debt limit, or even if it was feared, if we're getting close, um, and it, it looks as in 2011, 
like Congress might not raise the debt ceiling and we might not be able to pay our bills that you would expect to see an interest rate spike. And if the debt ceiling were not raised, I think there would be a financial crisis and a calamity. Well, you could not spend so much. No? Okay. All right. Raise the debt ceiling. Uh, coming up on the show, Evergrande uh, gets downgraded as the developer faces a bond interest payment deadline today. We'll bring you the whole story after the break. And just a reminder, if you want to uh, follow our coverage and analysis of the Evergrande crisis, you can always listen to our Squawk podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back, everybody. Fitch has downgraded indebted Chinese developer Evergrande from double C to single C. Evergrande has also sold its $1.5 billion stake in local Shenzhen Bank to a state-run company. Emily has more on the story. Shares in Evergrande surging in Hong Kong trade up more than 12% as the developer has sold shares in Shengjing Bank for $1.5 billion. The disposal of non-publicly traded domestic shares amount to 1.75 billion shares or a 19.9% stake. Shenzhen Bank is a main lender to Evergrande and demanded all proceeds to be used to settle financial liabilities due to the lender. This will suggest that the indebted developer will be unable to use the funds to settle interest payments due to bondholders. In a statement, Chairman Hui Kaiyan said Evergrande's liquidity issue has adversely affected Shenzhen Bank in a material way. Evergrande still retains 1.2 billion shares or a 14.5% stake in Shenzhen Bank, down from an earlier 34.5%. China's most indebted developer missed a bond interest payment last Thursday, and another interest payment of $47.5 million is due today. There is a 30-day grace period before non-payment constitutes default. Meanwhile, shares in Chinese estates, Evergrande's major shareholder, are suspended from trade in Hong Kong. The Hong Kong developer has been selling down its stake over various trading sessions, announcing today its shares are halted pending the release of some inside information. Ahead of the suspension, the stock surged 33%. In related news, Reuters is reporting that the government has asked state-backed property developers to purchase Evergrande assets, and a handful of SOEs have done their due diligence. Names like Venka, China Jinmao, and China Resources Land have been approached. There are growing expectations that we will see one of China's largest ever restructurings rather than a bailout at Evergrande. I'm Emily Tan in Hong Kong. Back to you. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.